Last week we talked about the greatest commandments found in Matthew 22. And we summed it up in four words, love God, love people. We looked at the value of relationships because God's a relational being and being made in his image, we work best when we're in relationships. But we have to first start with our own relationship with God because our relationship with God's the foundation for all the other relationships in our lives. We looked at Adam and Eve in the garden and how when they broke the relationship between them and God, God came to them and said, where are you? He knew exactly where they were, but he wanted them to recognize that they were lost and that they needed him. And God asks us that same question, where are you? In relation to me, your creator, your heavenly father, where are you? And we have to take that, we have to wrestle with that ourselves. Every one of us has to answer that question. God, where am I with you? Because that's our starting point. Our relationship with God is our starting point for everything else. We saw it in the story of Cain. When God asks him what he has done and where is your brother, and Cain replies flippantly, am I my brother's keeper? Well, yes, Cain, actually you are. And your attitude just shows your relationship with God. You see, God's the very essence of love. Love is just who he is. And if we can't find it in ourselves to love him back for all that he's done for us, how can we possibly love those around us? If our relationship with our Heavenly Father isn't healthy and growing and fruitful, how can we expect any relationship we have to be that way? So this morning, what we're going to look at is what healthy relationships really look like, what a godlike love expressed in relationship really looks like. In our text this morning, Paul's writing about our duty as believers. He's not just talking about, oh, this is what you should believe. He's saying, no, this is what you should do. This is your duty as a follower of Christ. And he gives us 12 signs of what healthy, God-fearing relationships with others should look like. It's kind of our how-to guide on God-like love. And so he starts out in verse 9, and he says, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. The first step in our how-to guide is love must be sincere. Paul starts out using the word agape for love. That word is a self-giving, sacrificial love that God gives us. It's a love that puts others before self. And don't pretend. Other translations use the word genuine, meaning without hypocrisy. Hypocrisy being a reference to Greek actors who would wear masks over their face to show the emotion of the character that they were playing. In other words, don't come across fooling people, telling them, oh, yes, I love you. Meanwhile, you're back here saying, oh, no, I really don't. Because you know what? They're going to know it. And more importantly, your father knows it. Your father knows what's in your heart. The message translation says that verse this way. Love from the center 
of who you are? What's at the core of who you are? That's where your love for others comes from. Wow, think about that. That points us right back to our foundational relationship with God. Because if he's not at the center of our lives, if he's not the center of our universe, loving others is almost an impossibility. How can you do it? In the second part of verse 9, Paul begins to tell us what genuine and sincere love really looks like. He says, hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. So our second step is love must be discerning. As followers of Christ, we cannot love evil and love God. And we must never allow ourselves to become numb to evil around us. But that can be hard to do, especially nowadays. We live in a world that's not much black and white anymore. Our society is dominated by shades of gray. Fifty of them, to be exact. You know, in 2013, the Barna Group conducted a survey, and the percentage of professed evangelical Christians that were reading those books and watching those movies was the exact same percentage in the general population. That's hypocrisy. That goes back to love sincerely. Because if you think in, in those movies and in those books that's love, you better go back to the Father, the creator of love, and say, what is love? What was once good is now bad. What was once bad is now called good. We have to be selective with what we put in our minds. You know, and being selective, I'm going to go on a little tangent here. Being selective about the things that you choose to watch or, or read or, you know, this isn't about legalism, okay? If you start telling other people what they should do, then yes, okay? But we're talking about what you decide for you because you're responsible for standing before God. You're responsible for your choices. So this is wisdom, knowing the difference between what glorifies God and what doesn't glorify God. That's love is discerning, knowing, will God be honored with this? Oh, no, well, then I shouldn't do that. I should go this way. You see, loving others is always about pointing them back to God. And so we must be discerning and knowing what's good and evil according to God's standards. Now, it doesn't have to be just about movies and books and TV shows. It could be something as simple as stepping in when you see someone being bullied. It could be stopping gossip that's being shared with you. It could be stepping in to bring a friend back on the right path, away from abusing alcohol, away from drugs. You see, love hates what is evil and clings to the good. But in order for us to know the difference between right and wrong, we have to be in the right relationship with God. It doesn't just magically happen. We have to be close to him to know what we're discerning between. Then the third thing Paul says, love each other with genuine affection. 
Love must display tender and genuine affection. The Greek words that Paul uses here refer to a familial love, a love and affection that's found between members of a family. We should have that same affection for members of God's family. You know, in your family, you probably don't always agree with your brothers and sisters or your mom, dad, cousins, but you're still connected. You still care for one another because you're family. As the saying goes, blood is thicker than water. And you just have this innate connection that you just can't break when you're in a family. In the same way, as a part of God's family, we're connected by the blood of Jesus. And that's thicker than anything else. You know, when you don't hear from a family member, because of your genuine affection for them, you're going to check out, hey, are you doing okay? We should be doing that in the church as well. When we don't see someone in Bible study or church on Sunday morning or at an event that we have, it's a quick text. Hey, I didn't see you. Are you okay? Or a quick phone call, email, message on Facebook, you name it. There's no excuse. You can contact people in a million different ways. We need to be doing that as a church body, as family. And when we start to have that tender affection displayed, then that leads us to our fourth. Love must honor others. In fact, Paul says, take delight in honoring each other. Delight. The New American Standard Translation actually says, outdo one another in showing honor. I like how it kind of creates this competition thing. Oh, I'm going to do better than you. I'm going to do better than you. Uh, I have a, a quick illustration Yesterday, um, Tom and Jay were, were moving some furniture together. And they were just loaded up a, a little bit from, one, from my house. And they were going to our other house and then back to Tom and Debbie's house. And, and there was this almost competition between them. And I'm standing back watching this. And, and Jay said, well, I will, I will go with you. We'll do all the moving. And then when we get to your house, I'll help you unload the truck. And Tom says, no, that's okay. I, I, don't, I don't need help. <laughs> and Jay says, of course you need help. You need help to move all this furniture. You have bookcases and couch. And No, 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 it's okay. I'll get help. You know? And they're back and forth. They were trying to outdo each other in honoring one another. And I just stepped back and I thought, this is amusing. But at the same time, I was overwhelmed by their love for each other. He didn't, you know, Jay didn't want Tom to have to do it himself, but Tom didn't want to impose on Jay, and so they were trying to outdo each other in honor. That's what that's about. That's what it means to delight in honoring one another. That's what that means. The fifth thing that Paul says, love must be enthusiastic. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. You may have heard of the man who was asked if he thought if the two biggest problems for humanity were ignorance and apathy, to which he responded, I don't know and I don't care. That sums it up. 
And Paul's saying to the followers of Christ, you can't have that kind of attitude in the church. No, that doesn't fly here. The word that Paul uses here in Greek actually means to boil, to boil over. To serve enthusiastically means that the Holy Spirit has set you on fire for his service. It means that you're drawing your strength from the Lord. That's how you love and serve others. Think of the one thing in your life that you put the most effort into. Are you putting that much effort into your relationship with God? What gets you most excited? What is your driving passion in life? You know, if you're on fire for the Lord, the people know it. The people closest to us, they know what gets you excited. They know what drives you. They know your priority. Parents, if you're on fire for the Lord, if you're displaying godly characteristics, your kids are going to take notice. You know what story that Ryan shared earlier? His kids were with him. What a testimony of the power of God for his kids at God's work. You know, when we did our prayer walk yesterday, and I asked Ryan's permission to share this, because it, it just overwhelmed me. It, it, it was incredible. I, you know, on our prayer walk yesterday, we had broken up in the two groups, and Jay and I had gone with Heather and Ryan and, and the kids, and his kids were incredible. They were so excited about handing out these flyers. They kept saying, can I go up to this house? Can I deliver? Can I go bring a flyer to this house? They were the ones that were directing us. That's setting a godly example. That's a dad that's on fire for Jesus, and he's passing it along to his kids. You know, Proverbs 22 says, you train your children up in the right ways. They will not depart from it. That doesn't just happen. It's not just absorbed into into them. You have to impart that godly behavior into them. And then they have it for life. You know, the best way to express our love for our kids is to raise them to love God. Raise them to love the Lord with all their heart, soul, and mind. That's when they'll learn that the Lord is their number one priority above all else. It's not just for parents, aunts, uncles, grandparents. You all have children in your lives that you have an influence on, that you have an impact on. And the priority that you put on Jesus in your life, they will see, they will witness. I spoke with a woman a couple weeks ago who was sharing a story with me about her children. She has young kids and She's like, I just, I, they were just complaining about coming to church in the morning. And I couldn't, every, every Sunday morning when I'd go to wake them up, she said, they just started complaining. Oh, it's so early. I don't want to get out of bed. And this, this is what she said. We we're sitting across the table. And she said, so I, I got in their face. And I said to them, do you know what God has done for you? Do you know the blessings that God has given to you? Every day God walks with you. 
He's there with you through your struggles. And you cannot get up and give him one hour of your time on Sunday morning? And she said, they haven't complained since. And she said, every Sunday morning, they're up and ready before I am. And I sat across the table from her, and I, I said, I need to high-five you. I said, because every parent needs to have that conviction with their kids. You know, we have parents, they complain, oh, my kid doesn't want to go to church, my kid doesn't want to do this. Well, what are you doing? What are you setting as an example for them? It is, it is on your shoulders, not theirs. They're the kids. Get their butts in church no matter what it takes. You tell them to brush their teeth. You tell them they need good grades in school. But, oh, church, that's okay. You can skip it. It doesn't matter. Yes, it does. If you want those kids to grow up to be followers of Christ, if you want them to be servants of the Lord and you want them to have a healthy life, get their butts in these pews. I'm sorry. I'm, <laughs> I'm on fire for this because I'm telling you, they will have so many struggles when they leave your home. It's scary out there. They need the Lord to get them through it. And you are doing a disservice by not having them in this place on Sunday morning. It doesn't have to be this. I don't care where you bring them. Bring them. Get them in a church. They need to know the Lord is their Savior. They need to know that the Lord is is with them, it loves them, they need it, don't neglect it. That's the best way to show love to your kids. Sixth thing, love must be patient and persevere. Rejoice in our confident hope, be patient in trouble, and keep on praying. We're going to come across hard times. Nothing in the world is easy. You're going to have struggles. You're going to have hardships, people that you don't get along with. But we hold tight to the hope of Jesus. We hold tight to the hope that lies ahead. Most often, the Lord already has your problem solved. You just have to be patient and pray. You know, oftentimes in our open church, we hear those stories. We hear the stories of someone saying, oh, I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't know what I was going to do. And I tried to fix it, but then God already fixed it. I didn't have to do anything but pray about it. The seventh thing, love must be generous and pursue hospitality. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. This is about seeing a need before you and helping if you're in a position to do so. It may involve money, but sometimes, most of the time, it's not. Most of the time, it could be a, an emotional need. They just need someone to sit and listen. Or maybe it's a spiritual need. They just need someone to sit and pray with them, encourage them in the Lord. Sometimes it's a physical need, or they may need clothing, they may need food. But we have to, are we being generous with our time? Are we being generous with our resources to meet the needs of others, even if they're strangers? Remember, God's shown how to love strangers 
Every one of us was a stranger and an alien to God. And he loved us. That's our role model. We've been brought near because of the blood of Christ. That's showing hospitality. And when we show our hospitality to others, we're just doing what Christ did for us. Our job is to draw them closer to God. And when we welcome them into our friendship, into our life, that's what we're doing. The eighth thing that Paul tells us, love must be kind. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. This one always makes us gristle a little, I think. But if there's any command from God that we most often try to find a loophole with, it's probably this one. Oh, but Lord, they did this. Oh, but Lord, do you know what she said about me? Lord, do you know? Did you see what happened, Lord? Did you see? And yet you want me to love them? Be kind to them? You're going to be hated. You're going to be mistreated. You're going to be misunderstood. You're going to be lied about, gossiped about. And there may be people in your life that hurt you deeply. They may leave scars for years to come. But it happened to Jesus, too. So we have no reason to think it's not going to happen to us. But how we respond to those hurts and the people that bring those hurts says much about our relationship to the Father. Though we don't usually see it right away, it's after we get out of the situation, we can see, wow, the hurt that I experienced there from that person, that person was actually a gift from God. Because look at the growth that happened to me because of that. And I'm not, you know, I'm not excusing evil or condoning mistreatment, but maybe the best way to explain it is what Joseph said to his brothers in Genesis 50:20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. You see, God's always helping us become more like Christ. Enemies get us on our knees. Enemies help us see our need for God. Even David needed Saul. He needed Saul to pursue him, to persecute him, to repeatedly try to kill him so that David could be the leader that God needed him to be. You see, when we bless those that persecute us, when we pray for God to bless them, it's the ultimate statement of love because nobody does that unless they're connected to the Father. And when we pray for them and it draws us back to God, it puts it back in perspective. Because he still sits on the throne. He's still in control of it all. Number nine says, love must show empathy. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Love gets involved with people, even when it's messy. It doesn't stand by the sidelines just observing. You know, there's an old Swedish proverb. It says, shared joy is double joy. And shared sorrow is half a sorrow. You know, this is more than just sympathy. Because sympathy has us feeling sorry for people. This is about empathy. 
Empathy has us feeling sorry with someone. There's a world of difference. One is walking with the other, helping to hold them up as they're taking one step at a time. It's having compassion. And when we have compassion for one another, that's when we strive towards harmony, which is the number 10 Paul how-to step. Live in harmony with each other. It isn't about all being the same. Think of it like a symphony. It's a collection of instruments playing on the same page at the same time. They don't sound alike. They don't play the same notes. And somehow, there's beauty in the sound. That's the body of Christ. We don't all look alike. We don't all act alike. We don't sound alike. And we certainly don't always think alike. But the church of God, the body of Christ, is enriched by that diversity. And there's harmony. Because what we do is we celebrate the things that bring us together. And we don't focus on the things that divide us. And then love must show humility. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. In other words, don't be a snob. Don't let your head get so big you can't get through the door. Don't think that you're too good to hang out with certain people. You know, our Savior and our role model, he was a friend of sinners. He ate with the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the drunkards. And yet he saved his harshest words for the religious elite who thought they were good enough and better than the rest. A man told D.L. Moody once, he said, I am a self-made man. To which Moody replied, well, you have relieved the Almighty of a great responsibility. We must not think more highly of ourselves than we ought. Listen to the way the message says, Romans 12, 3, about thinking of yourselves humbly. I'm speaking to you out of deep gratitude for all that God has given me, and especially as I have responsibilities in relation to you. Living then, as every one of you does, in pure grace. It's important that you not misinterpret yourselves as people who are bringing this goodness to God. No, God brings it all to you. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is. And by what he does for us, not by what we are or what we do for him. God defines who you are. And the ground before the cross is level for everybody. The same grace that saved me saved you and you and you. We can't boast about anything. So don't think that you're better than anyone. And when we approach relationships with humility then we let down that wall and we won't seek revenge when someone hurts us. We won't retaliate after people. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. I read a story this week of a farmer. He was really frustrated because he was growing watermelons and there were local youth that kept sneaking into his garden every night and just eating his watermelon. 
And so one night he decided, ah, I know what to do. So he sticks a sign in the garden that says, one of these watermelons has been injected with poison. He thought he was going to get them. The next morning he gets up and he goes to his garden, excited to think, oh, it's going to be clean and it's going to be good. There's another sign that said, ha, now there are two. Hate breeds more hate. We can't achieve peace by revenge. It doesn't happen. Love always wins over hate. Oh, the latest time, love trumps hate. Well, yes, it does. Love will always win because God is love and God will always have the victory. It doesn't matter what we think here. He is love. He will always win over hate. And so when we're in these situations and we're in relationships that we're trying to make right, we only have to go to him to set them straight. You know, genuine God-like love, it's not just being nice to people. Anybody can do that. They can put on a mask and pretend to do some good things here and there. But what Paul is talking about here is different. Because genuine God-like love moves people towards God's goodness. To love someone doesn't mean to just cater to what they like or don't like. Love isn't just sappy, gooey, feel-good emotion. That's not love. This is about acting towards people in ways that help them experience more of God's goodness. It's loving in ways that matter. It's behaving towards others differently than the rest of the world in such a way that we make an impact. This week I was bringing Isabel to tutoring and um, on my way there, I was driving into the parking lot, and off to the side was a man. There was a shopping cart there, and he was asleep in the grass under a tree. And you could see in the shopping cart, there was some suitcases and a pillow, and, and I've never seen any homeless people in this area before. And as I drove by to drop her off, and, and I said, you're going to go back. Yeah, I know I need to go back. I, I know I'll go back. And so I drove back around. I went to McDonald's, and I got lots of food. And I, and I drove back to this man, and, and I went up to him. And I felt bad because I was waking him up. And, <laughs> and uh, so I went up to him, and I said, hello. I said, you know, can I help you? I have some food for you. And he, he roused up a little. He said, I don't need food. I'm OK. And I said, well, it's here in case you need it later on. And I asked him, what is, I said, what is your name? And he said, my name's Tony. And I said, well, hi. I said, my name's Kristen. And his eyes lit up. He said, oh, you know, I'm a Christian. And I said, yeah? He said, look. And he said, I made this myself. And around his neck, he had a necklace. And it was, uh, it was all made of wires. But he had put it into a cross. It was a beautiful handmade cross. He said, look, see what I made? I made it myself. And I said, wow, I said, that's beautiful. I said, do you ever make them and, and sell them? He said, oh, I could never sell this. It's too important to me. And I said, well, Tony, I said, how can I help you? Can I, can I pray with you? And, 
And so I, I did. I prayed with him, and, and I tried to encourage him as much as I could. And then he said, I said, you know what? God has purpose for you. He said, yeah, he started crying, and he said, but I just wish he would tell me what it is. And I started crying with him. I said, you know what, Tony? I said, you just, you just had a great purpose. I said, because you just touched my heart. I said, I got to experience a blessing today because of you. I said, I'm glad that God woke you up this morning and that I had this moment with you. And he just kept holding my hand, and he said, well, thank you. Thank you. And I said, you know what, Tony? I'm going to keep praying for you. You know, and I left him. I went to go get Isabel, and I just cried in the car. I said, Lord, this is what it is. This is what a love a God-like relationship looks like. It's, it's giving and receiving. You know, I didn't go into that relationship there with this man to say, oh, I am here to help you. I'm going to save the day. I went in to say, how can I help you? Can I pray with you? Can... And I came back probably more blessed than Tony did. And that's what God does. That's that's the God-like love that makes an impact. You know, and, as I, and after I got Isabel and I came back around, there was no sign of him. No sign of him. And I thought, you know what, Lord? Did I just meet one of your angels? Did you, did you have him there just to, just to speak to me to say, keep doing what you're doing. Don't neglect the ones that the world neglects. Keep going up to the ones that I put before you. I don't know the answer to that, but I kept thanking Lord for the blessing of, of that moment. You know, there's an old saying that says, love makes the world go round. But imagine if people didn't just believe it, but actually did it. Imagine how different our world would be if Christ followers followed Paul's how-to guide in forming loving relationships as an overflow of their relationship with God. The most powerful command to the church is love one another. And by this, Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples. The greatest witness that we have to the world is love. The world is looking for love. You know, one of the most common answers given when unchurched people are asked, what are you looking for in a church? I want people that care about me. That's what unchurched people are looking for. It doesn't matter who's standing up giving the message. It doesn't matter what the music is. They don't, it doesn't matter about the children's program. They want to know that a church and the people actually care about them. They want people that take off their masks and will love authentically, sincerely, genuinely. And we can only love that way when we get our own relationship with God straight. The church is meant to be a community of love. We owe it to our Lord to love one another. And we owe it to a watching world. Heavenly Father, help us to love. Teach us to love the way you love. Put people in our path that we can make an impact with. 
put people in our path that we can draw to your goodness. Put people in our path that we can shine a light of Christ. May we leave this place knowing that our life is not our life, it's yours. And it's your story, Lord, that you're writing. May we surrender all to you, Lord. In Jesus' precious and holy name.